This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And um, it is a wild day, a wild day. And in honor of the um, media being so dishonest and so despicable, I am going to uh, play again my great interviews uh, with... um, with our great friend uh, uh, Larry Elder. So tune in just a couple minutes and we'll play them again. But the reason I'm doing that is because it's crazy what's happening. I, I, I mean, I just have to tell you, and I'm, I know I'm supposed to be on crisis, Afga- crisis Afghanistan day 10, and I'll go back to it. But I just want to tell you what you need to know today, what you need to know, today's wink, what you need to know is the media is so corrupt. It's so far gone. It's just despicable. And it would be funny, except... It feels like fundamental things that we care about are being lost. It would be funny. But so Larry Elder now, Larry Elder was attacked in the last 48 hours by a woman, a liberal woman, white woman wearing a gorilla mask who threw an egg at him. Now, can you imagine if it was an African-American Democrat and there was a white guy in a gorilla mask who threw an egg? There would be riots by now. And the media covered it, almost not at all. And what they covered it was to say, oh, people are disgruntled with Larry Elder. And here's what I want to talk about, how despicable the media is. In the case of California, Larry Elder is, has a chance to be the first African-American governor. And they used to make these things like a big deal if you're a, Republic, if you're a Democrat. Instead, they had a few weeks ago, someone called him a white supremacist. And the media has run it over and over again. You can say, well, that's a stupid thing to say. It doesn't matter. What happens is if you weaponize big media against someone, it has a desired effect. That's what they do. And now there's another story, I don't know, 24 hours ago. Forget it's, it's actually comical. Now, I do radio with Larry Elder. I used to do my show right before his. He would be on, yeah, after me. And, and I used to, when I was originating the show in St. Louis, on The Answer St. Louis, we used to have him on all the time leading in to his show. And he's a super guy. He's a really interesting guy. So there's a reporter that wrote a report and went into the studio on a, a liberal. And, and turns out that Larry, off the air, said to her, I think it's a her, that, oh, yeah, I understood your piece. You know, it's, uh, you know, but I, I, I understand what you're getting at. But, you know, I, I'm, we're disagreeing on the air. It's great radio. And she wrote this. A betra- it's a betrayal of his principles, breathlessly. It's just comical. It's not comical. It's, it's insane. And the coverage in California now is so dishonest and so disreputable, they're not covering the prospect of voter fraud. Millions and millions of mail-in ballots are everywhere. They're not covering the burning of the the fire. Half of California, that's too much. A third of California, some big percentage of California is burning. And they're rushing in Kamala Harris and Joe Biden to try to save uh, Governor Newsom. And they're just pathetic. It's just a pathetic, pathetic existence to watch and the media is is if there's one thing you can blame here's another one do you realize that the people that are unvaccinated in this country who are being you know brutally characterized by the president and everybody else as great threats to other people do you know who they are if you think that they're trump supporters you're just wrong if you think that they're evangelical white christians you're wrong there are some of both of those But a large number of them are African-Americans. A large number of them are low income. A lot of people that just say after a year and a half of of, of inconsistent at best and insane at worst characterizations by the uh, by the professional experts 
Wear masks, don't wear masks. They do work, they don't work. Do this, do that. For 15 days to stop the spread. Lockdown will work. All these things that they say, people don't trust them. It's not Trump supporters. Trump's vaccinated. Trump said get vaccinated. And yet the media covers it. If they just do another lie, they do another lie. It's like the Russia hoax. It's like the Charlottesville fine people hoax. It's one after another. And then they wonder why people don't believe them. But in this case, I have a good friend. He's a good man. He's a really good man. Family man, Christian gentleman. And he said to me, Ed, you know, I don't understand why people are not getting vaccinated. They're, they're risking us. And all these people, you know, that say they're conservative, say they're Christian. I said, I said, I said, John, that, that's not, you're not describing what's going on. You're just listening to the media. You're listening to the media characterize them. And let me be clear. I'm not even arguing about whether you should or shouldn't get the vaccine. I'm talking about how the media is tearing the country apart, is literally tearing the country apart. Now, another one. Do you know that they, did you see the coverage of the Robert E. Lee statue coming down? Did you realize that most of the country, probably about 55% of the country, doesn't think we should take down statues? In fact, it's probably a lot more than that. There's no character to say they made it seem like it was a great victory for what? For what? Again, I'm not even debating Robert E. Lee. I'm saying what kind of culture is being told Something is true when you can look a little bit and say, that doesn't look like that's true. We don't know if that's true. Robert E. Lee's statue coming down, they describe it as a great success. It's a symbol of racism, all this kind of stuff. As As if that's the opinion of everybody in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's not. It's not. It's the opposite, actually. And I, I'm, I'm more inclined to say when you see statues coming down with this kind of propaganda accompany it, you know you're being lied to. You know it, it's not a confident culture that takes down statues like the Robert Lee, Robert E. Lee statue. That's not a confident culture. That's not a confident nation. That's a nation that's lurching, lurching and searching. In fact, they're not really, and let's slide one more. Now we'll go all the way over to the, the, the Afghanistan, you know, crisis Afghanistan, day 10. And I'll just say it again. At a certain point, what is happening is so clearly intentional. It's meant to divide, not to try to unify. The rhetoric, the approach, the way it's being done. And I will tell you, when, when Joe Biden has failed so miserably on the border, do you know that the million people coming through the borders, you know we have massive uh, uh, problems of, of COVID coming through the border? Even other diseases. The late Phyllis Schlafly, I just recorded a commentary for next month in October. She used to get a lot of trouble because she would say, oh, the illegals, they bring in all these kinds of diseases. And then people, oh, that's, that's, that's uh, classist, that's unkind, they're just poor. No, they're coming in with diseases. We don't, we, actually, we don't even know what they're coming in with, but there's at least evidence that they're coming in with COVID and other diseases. The Biden administration has failure after failure. Afghanistan is a failure. We have hostages in Afghanistan. We don't know how to solve the problem. And you know what the president is doing and his White House is doing so cynically, so obviously, if you know what's happening, they're looking at the country and they're saying, what's the best line to tear at? What's the best seam to tear at to try to keep uh, out of keep people focused on something other than Afghanistan, the border, the schools, all this stuff. And that is the idea of COVID, the fear of COVID. There's nothing that motivates people more than fear. And I have said repeatedly, as I say this to you, it's so important that you hear it. 
It doesn't matter how we got here. It doesn't matter why we got here. What matters is this simple fact. A lot of Americans, especially Americans over the age of 55, a lot of them are very fearful of COVID. You, if you're yelling at the TV, you're yelling saying it's not a big high death rate, all that stuff, doesn't matter. It does, all that matters is how people feel and how that influences what they think about things. And in this case, they're afraid. And in this case, Joe Biden is exploiting that. He's actually tearing at that seam. He's tearing at that, that sort of that seam in our American fabric. And he's trying to tear people apart. And he's making people that are fearful. Again, fear is not always, it's not often rational. It has to do with a lot of things other than what the facts are. And it has a lot to do with how things have been reported. We're back to the media. Has a lot of things about what's said back to the media. Remember, all the mainstream media jumped on it and said ivermectin was horse dewormer when they knew, as sure as anyone, that ivermectin, that, that medicine, is used on humans in human doses. And it's used on horses in horse doses. It's not used for the same things. And everybody knows that. It's just like saying that some of the penicillin products are used on animals. Some of the uh, uh, drugs that are developed in, in one area are used for others. That's actually how we find stuff out. If it works, you test it a lot of times on animals first. And they're lying about it. They're dishonest. They're dishonest in such a way that it's just tearing at America. And we're coming towards 9-11, 20th anniversary and we're watching a media and big tech and big government. Oh, here's the last one. There's a September 18th gathering of people who are concerned about the men and women, mostly men, I think, that are in prison since January 6th. And no one's been charged with insurrection. No one's been charged with sedition. No one's been charged with those heady crimes. They've been charged with you know, things that they did wrong, I think. Broken windows, other things. Yeah, charge them, fine. But they're being held in prison. No bail, no possibilities, no nothing. September 18th is supposed to be a, a, a gathering, prayerful gathering in D.C. They're saying they're going to wrap the Capitol in, in barbed wire and that they're afraid of another, another insurrection. And the media covers that. So big government says it, somebody. Media covers it. Big tech goes for it too. It's insane what's happening. I, I don't get to throw this around lightly, but the republic is threatened when people act this rottenly. And when media acts this terribly, it really is. We should believe it. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back and hear from the great Larry Elder. I hope the next governor of California, but we'll see. Be right back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I used to, I used to when I very first started out in radio uh, a couple of years ago in this, on the Salem Radio Network, Larry Elder would come on my show to keep me going. I think he was uh, very kind to me. And even more, I'm going to get to this in a minute, he wrote a book that was a really big deal for me in my life, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, a award-winning, successful radio host, he's decided it's time to step into uh, politics and is running in the recall election. Welcome, Larry. How are you? Ed, thank you so much for, for having me. I appreciate it. I've been a, a professional politician now for all of two weeks, so give me a break. 
<laughs> exactly. You're all swamped up. You're covered in swamp. And that's, but that's the best question, Larry. You're a well-adjusted human being by most accounts. People that know you <laughs> say you have fun. You live like a normal person. You have a lot of opinions. You're all this. Why are you doing this? You know, at first when I was approached by people I respect, like Dennis Prager, uh, my colleague at Salem, uh, by people like a woman named Jenny Sand, who's a local activist, uh, she kept writing me and writing me and writing me and sending me all sorts of stuff on on how I could get elected and why I should get elected, and I kept ignoring all of this. I have a friend named Pastor Jack Hibbs, my pastor. He made the same argument. Another longtime friend named Lionel Chetwin, he's a longtime filmmaker. They all approached me different times, and they all urged me to run. And each time I pushed back. And then I thought what I would do, Ed, is ask normal people. I asked my barber, <laughs> I asked the, the grocer, I asked the person where I take my laundry. And I kept waiting for somebody to say, what you just now said, are you nuts? You have a good life. Uh, you're making some money. Uh, you're not having your personal life exposed as you would in the politics. What are you thinking about? Nobody said that. And most people right, said, right. You know, why, why not you? You're from California. You've been talking about these issues for 27 years. You're known up and down the state. I'm on in every major market uh, in California, from Sacramento down to San Diego. I've been writing about these issues. I'm a syndicated columnist. My column is carried in the largest newspaper in the Valley, LA Daily News. It's carried in the Orange County Register. If not you, who? If not now, when? And little by little, I began to think that way. And so now I'm in this thing to win it. But I never, ever, ever thought I'd be going into politics. The last time I ran for anything was fifth grade class president. Uh, and, I, and I took three out of four <laughs> roles. They're still cleaning up the blood. It was a, it was a landslide. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I love it. I love it. And when people tell me, well, Larry, what, 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 do you, what do you bring to the table? Well, you never run for You never had any political experience. And I go, yeah. And the guy right now, Gavin Newsom, he's been governor for two years. We have rising crime, rising homelessness. Uh, he shut down the state in a more severe way than any of the other 49 governors did while flouting the very mandates that he imposed, sitting at that famous French laundry restaurant with the very people that pushed that put together the mandates, not wearing masks, not socially distancing, having his own uh, uh, children enjoying in-person private education, exempting his own um, uh, business from the uh, from the mandates. And I look at the rising outrageous cost of living. The average price of a home in California is $800,000, 150% more than the average price of a home in America. And one of the frequent guests I have on my radio show, you probably heard him, his name is Leo Haney, and he's a professor at UCLA. He says the average price of a home yep. in California is 50% more than it would be but for rules and, and regulations uh, that jack up the price of homes. So I started looking at all these things, homelessness and crime, uh, and the declining quality of public education for crime out loud, 75% of black boys in California cannot read at state levels of proficiency, and those levels are not high. Nearly 50% of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I went to a high school called Crenshaw High School. If you saw the movie Boys in the Hood, that's my high school. Only 2% of kids at Crenshaw are math proficient. 2%. Now, who sends their kid to a school where only 2% of the kids are math proficient if they have an option out? The teachers' union opposes choice. That's one of the big things that will happen if and when I'm lucky enough to become governor. I support choice. The money should follow the child rather than the other way around. So parents can determine whether they want to send their kid to a public school or a charter school or a religious school or a private school. So for all those reasons, I decided to run. We're talking with Larry Elder again, uh, the great Larry Elder, radio host before he became a politician just days ago, so don't hold that against him. Uh, Larry, I want to pause. You mentioned you went to Crenshaw, Crenshaw High School, 
and you're right. you're and you're a self-made guy. Now I want to tell people because one of the most important things about our friendship, I'd say, is you told me about a book that you wrote, and and the book is out uh, two different versions, a lot like me, a father and son's journey to reconciliation about your dad and how right. he how he worked and who he was and how you reconciled. And I've heard you talk about families and 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 all. Larry, and it meant so much to me because I have sons now and I have daughters also, and I've, I, learned, I, I learned about myself through it. But Larry, there's so much broken in the country and in California. So many people have been taught wrong or, or been cooped up. I mean, it, it, one of the things I think that's powerful about you running is not just that you're not a politician, but kind of the man you are and, and, and what your dad taught you and how, how your life turned out. And in some ways, people just need hope. They need to actually believe right. it can be better and somebody can do it. Absolutely. My father uh, and I did not get along. That's what the book is all about. I thought my father was mean and, and cruel and spanked us too often and too harshly. And unfortunately, the SOB started a little cafe when I'm 10 years old, so now I've got to work for him. So I'm working for him <laughs> for five years, and he's yelling at me and screaming at me in front of people. It's a little diner. When I say restaurant, it sounds like some highfalutin thing. It's not. It's a little diner. Uh, it served uh, breakfasts and lunches. And everybody can see everything going on in the restaurant. And I'm 15 years old, and my dad yelled at me. And for the first time, I decided to, decided to defy him. And I literally walked out of the restaurant, full of, uh, of, of, of patrons. The, the waitress had called in sick. So my dad had to deal with all these people by himself. He came home, and Ed, he was steamed. And he said, why did you leave? And I said, Dad, I got sick and tired of the way you spoke to me, and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. Now, that was an act of defiance that my father had never seen. He paid me $10 a day plus tips. He threw it at me as I lay on the bed. He walked out of my bedroom, and we did not have another conversation for 10 years. And when I say not another conversation, wow. I mean not even do you think it's going to rain? How about those Dodgers? What about the Rams? Nothing. Now, I'm 25 years old. And I just uh, uh, finished uh, law school. I passed the California bar, the Ohio bar. I'm at a big law firm in Cleveland, Ohio, making a great deal of money. I was 25 years old, making the equivalent of around 150 k And I couldn't sleep, Ed. And I knew it had to do with my father. Not that I ever thought we'd become friends or anything or, or, or that I even wanted a relationship with him. But I wanted to be able to sleep, and I knew that was on my mind. So I called my secretary, and I said, cancel all my appointments. I'm flying to L.A., and I'm going to uh, be back in three or four days. I didn't tell my parents I was coming because I didn't want my father to prepare. I went from the airport uh -huh. LAX direct, directly to the restaurant. I walk in at 1.30. They close at 2.30. I had a bag with me. My dad was shocked to see me. He says, I put your bag in the back? I said, no, Dad. I'm only going to be here for five or ten minutes. I want to tell you something. And I intended to tell him what, a, what an SOB I thought he was, and I figured he'd call me an ungrateful son. Then maybe I'd be able to sleep. So my dad and I sat down, <laughs> and we had an eight-hour conversation. And the man told me about his life, and I knew nothing about his life because I didn't give a damn. And for the first time, I saw my father cry. And my father said, you know your last name, Elder? I said, yes. He said, that's not the name of my father. I said, what? Who's Elder? He said, he's the name of some guy that lived in my life the longest. He said, my mother had a series of irresponsible men. She lived off them. Uh, he never met his biological father. And as my dad was telling me this, he got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I got smaller and smaller and smaller. I, uh, my dad said she threw him out of the house when he was 13 years old, never to return because he was quarreling with his mom's then boyfriend. And I said, Dad, what, what, what did you do? Wow. And for the next eight hours, Ed, he told me about his life. Joined the Marines, became a Pullman porter on the trains. Came to California on a run, and he was shocked. You could walk into a restaurant in the front door and be served. And this is before the war. And so he made a mental note, maybe someday I'll relocate to L.A. 
and the war is over. Uh, he met and married my mom in Chattanooga. He couldn't get a job as a, as a cook. They told him we don't hire in words. He came to California, and they wouldn't hire him either. They said he had no references. My dad said, I need references to make ham and eggs. So he took two jobs in <laughs> toilets. Uh, and believe it or not, on his income, uh, two jobs, he had a stay-at-home wife, my mother, uh, and she stayed at home until the last of us was in middle school. He was able to buy a home in South Central Los Angeles, which right now is still in the family. It's worth $600,000. Uh, somebody working wow. three jobs as an eighth-grade dropout could not duplicate what my dad did because the cost of living has gone so high in California. That's one of the reasons I'm running. But my dad... Uh, always told my brothers and me the following, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. You cannot control the outcome, Larry, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before you moan and groan about what somebody did to you or said to you, go to the nearest mirror, look at it, and say to yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? And finally, he always told my brothers and me, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, sooner or later, bad things are going to happen. How you deal with those bad things will tell your mother and me if we raised a man. If anybody had a reason to blame America and call America systemically racist, it's my father. He never felt that way at all. My Republican dad always said this about the Democratic Party, by the way. Democrats believe, Democrats want to give you something for nothing. And when you try to get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. Work hard. <laughs> take advantage of the available opportunities, he told my brothers and me. And that's what I've always tried to do. We're talking again. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And we're talking with Larry Elder. And by the way, the book, he's talked about this. It's an extraordinary book. I think I read it in one sitting. It's called A Lot Like Me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation. And as you mentioned, it's a conversation went on for eight hours about his father who'd been estranged with. It is extraordinary. Um, Larry, when people listen to you like that and on your radio show, of course, Larry Elder's uh, radio show is rightly famous now. I, I said there in Lakeville, Shotley, for whom I worked, she had a, a, a sort of um, uh, a happy warrior mentality, right? A lot is wrong. A lot is wrong. We got a lot of things wrong. And yet you come at it with a sort of happy warrior, a joyful feel. How do you hold that? Because you've had stuff happen in your life. You've had life happen and you wonder, how do you keep that joy? What's at the heart of it? It's, 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 it's not difficult. I mean, my goodness, we were born in America. We hit the lottery when we were born in America. And to be born with two good parents who are hardworking and wanted us to invest in ourselves and realize our potential, I'm beyond blessed. And that's one of the reasons I'm running. And by the way, I'm asking people to throw a little something in the tip jar, electelder.com, electelder.com, because my opponent can raise and spend an unlimited amount of money. I have spending limitations. But the reason I'm running is because of hope and optimism. Uh, in California, uh, we've got all these brainiacs in Silicon Valley. We have a body of water known as the Pacific Ocean, yet we're not building desalination plants. Uh, Israel and Dubai, for crying out loud, have become self-sufficient by building desalination plants. We're not doing that here in California. Uh, we have rolling brownouts because of energy shortages, water shortages, because we've not really added to our infrastructure in almost 40 years. What have people been doing? Instead of uh, telling people to to conserve on water, we ought to be talking about water abundance and how we can store water underground uh, instead of half of it going off into the Pacific Ocean when we do have rainy seasons. So we ought to be looking to hope, looking to future, looking to innovate ourselves out of our problems. And that's what I'm going to strive for if I'm lucky enough to become the next governor of California. Well, and again, we're talking with Larry Elder. And uh, again, I'll put it up there on social media, too. Uh, it is electelder.com is the website to learn more about Larry, sign up for his uh, emails and also throw some uh, throw some 
pointed out, the governor's allowed to raise as much money as he wants. Candidates like Larry Elder are limited. Um, but Larry, um, you, the, the people I've talked to who talk about this, they say in California, there's tens of millions of conservatives and common sense thinkers, right? They may have been Democrats in the past. They might be Republicans, they might even libertarians or might be nothing. But they're saying to themselves, this system, this system we're in, where we give people you know, money, Newsom gives money out right before an election and all this kind of stuff. It's a bad system, right? So how, what is it that you can, what do you think, you know, the first day you're governor, maybe you can't do this, first day you're governor, what's the first thing you're thinking you got to do? First thing I'm going to do is declare a statewide emergency on homelessness. One of the reasons why we have homelessness is because of the high cost of living in California. Uh, we don't have low-cost apartments, low-cost housing, because of a law called CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, which, by the way, is waived for billionaires like uh, the man that built the, Seac- the Sacramento King Stadium. Somehow, some way, uh, the environmental concerns were waived when they want to, uh, but they don't waive them when regular developers want to build homes. Uh, and I want to get some of these people off the streets. And uh, this is something that churches and, and religious organizations should do. Government can't do it. Uh, and um, uh, many of them are mentally ill, uh, and some of them are schizophrenic, meaning of danger to themselves or to others. And they need to be physically removed from the streets and housed in mental institutions for their protection and for the protection of the rest of the homeless population. But if and when I'm able to do all of this, you still have the problem of the lack of affordable housing. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to suspend CEQA uh, as one of the first acts of my being, uh, my being uh, a governor. I That's a great boy. That's about, a, the, about the declining right. quality of public schools in California. Seventy-five percent of black boys cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I kid you not. And those levels are not high. Uh, and as I mentioned, fifty percent of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. The teachers' union is the largest funder of my opponent, Gavin Newsom. They just gave him one point eight million dollars, by the way. Uh, and they are adamantly opposed to school choice because the teachers are not members of the union and they don't get those automatic union dues. But when you look around the country and you ask where, the, where teachers send their own school-age kids. Overwhelmingly, they send their own school-age kids to private schools, where only 10% of families with no public school teachers send their kids to private schools, and 6% of black families do. Now, these are the people that know the school system the best, and not, they're not sending their own school-age kids to those schools. That's the equivalent of opening up a restaurant, Ed, hanging up a sign outside saying, come on in, just don't eat the food. Yeah, it's uh, it is crazy, and 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 um, well, those are those are great, uh, Larry. I'm talking, by the way, with Larry Elder. And again, please go visit electelder.com. Electelder.com. Larry Elder is running uh, for in the recall. Um, Larry, about the recall. I don't know if I got this right. Is 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 the election going to be all mail-in ballots, or are they just going to mail ballots? But you can also vote in person. Well, you, you can go in person, but they're going to send ballots to every single eligible voter. Uh, and you have the option of voting mail-in or have the option of going in physically uh, and voting. But my suspicion is most people are going to respond by mail-in. And by the way, the ballots go out on August the 14th, even though the election is September the 14th. By the time September the 14th rolls around, it's almost going to be anticlimactic. Um, and that's right. one of the reasons I need, I need so much money. Uh, and that's, you know, we, you need to run ads up and down the state in California TV and, and print ads. Uh, but it's a, it's a two-step deal. It's very simple. The ballot says, do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? If 50% plus one says yes, the next, next part of it is, who do you want to replace him? Now, we won't know whether or not 50% plus one said yes until the state uh, Secretary of State certifies the election. But on that ballot, it's very simple. Do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? Who should replace him? If 50% plus one voter recalls him, whoever gets the greatest number of votes to replace him will become the next governor of California. And right now, I am substantially ahead of my Republican rivals, although I will support anybody over Gavin Newsom. 
<laughs> electelder.com is the website. Larry, how do you how do you envision protecting uh, from voter fraud? I mean, it's almost at this point, Democrats are scared of how badly Biden is doing in the White House, how badly yeah. Gavin Newsom's doing. Yeah. How, what's your, what is your, what are you going to do to stop the voter fraud? Can you? Good, go good lawyers. Good lawyers. And remember, uh, I don't know if you know that they tried to keep me off the ballot when I first uh, announced they, they, there's a law that requires you to turn yeah. over five years of your tax returns. You have to turn over two, two sets of two copies identical. And I will admit there was a screw up on our part. We turned in 150 pages and 143 pages. Don't ask me why seven pages were missing. But you, they had all seven pages in the first set. They could have easily corrected it. The Secretary of State decided not to. And so my name was off the ballot. So we had to sue them. Uh, it went all the way up to, uh, to a judge. And the judge, within 15 minutes, said, A, the law doesn't even apply to recall elections. And B, Mr. Elder substantially complied. And as a result, I was put on the ballot. I told my lawyer, who's brilliant, uh, my cousin Vinny could win this, could win this case. And he said, <laughs> Okay, go hire go hire my cousin Vinny and see what happens. Okay, okay, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> uh, so you think so? You're th- but you, I guess what can people do other than go to uh, electelder.com and give you some money because you got to hire the lawyers? I mean, is that the best at this point? The best thing. I mean, I hate to say it, but we you probably have to win by more than they can steal, and maybe that's going to happen because we're worried about everybody. Everybody I talk to is worried about that the California election because it's mail in a lot of it. They're just going to run the numbers the way they want. Well, all I know is this. There was a ballot initiative called uh, Proposition 16, uh, which would have repealed another ballot initiative that said you cannot use race as a factor in college admissions, uh, in contracting, uh, and in uh, in hiring for state jobs. Uh, The no side that says we don't want race used, we want this to be a colorblind deal, was outspent 20 to 1, and they still won, despite allegations uh, that there might be election fraud. So I think that common sense will prevail. Uh, the, the rising crime has no color. Uh, rising homelessness has no color. The outrageous cost of living has no color. The way this man shut down this, uh, this state while ignoring the science has no color. And I think there are going to be a whole bunch of men and women, many of whom are Democrats and independents, that are going to vote to throw this guy out, whether or not there might be voter fraud or not. I think there'll be so many people that, that any kind of shenanigans will be overcome. Do you think, Larry, the one, last line of questions here, again, we're talking with Larry Elder. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Larry, do you think that the um, – You've been around politics a long time, and you're a, you, you're a big-time lawyer at a big firm. Is this the worst we've been in terms of American politicians, both parties, in a way? Um, or, or is it ebbing and flowing? I mean, do you feel like, again, you're a joyful warrior. You're a guy that doesn't get down, at least uh, sometimes you get angry, but you don't get down. Are we at the, right. the bottom in, in terms of the, the, the quality and the caliber of these people in office? Well, when after the election of the first black president and the re-election of this black president, despite presiding over the worst economic recovery since 1949, I thought this business of systemic racism was dead. It is not. And that's because the Democrats know that Donald Trump increased the percentage of black vote from 8% in 2016 to 12 to 20% in 2020. That's a 50% increase. It gets to about 15%, 17%, and Democrats know that they are toast. So they're doubling down on calling uh, white people people oppressors and calling black people victims. They're doubling down on crap like, like uh, critical race theory and reparations, doubling down on, re- on referring to police officers, despite evidence to the contrary, that they're engaging in systemic racism against black people and are using a, a disproportionate force against black people. As I said, even though study after study after study shows, if anything, the police are more reluctant, more hesitant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than a white suspect. I've never seen this before. So we're at an inflection point, I really do believe. 
It is amazing. All right, Larry Elder, thank you uh, for your time. As always, electelder.com is the website. Go there, sign up so you get on his emails, but also give him a a few shekels so he gets uh, moving and watch these next two months. But remember, August 14th, the California voters, you're going to be able to vote early. You can't wait. Uh, You shouldn't wait. You should get focused. So thanks, Larry, for everything. Good luck and God bless. We're praying for you. And we'll be talking more about the issues that you brought up. It's uh, very important. God bless, Ed. Thank you for, for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder. Again, electelder.com. We'll put it up on social media and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. President Donald Trump may not have a job in the Oval Office at the moment, but he certainly has the potential to launch a very promising career in Olympic commentary. In an emailed statement, Trump held nothing back regarding his thoughts on the U.S. women's soccer team following their stunning defeat at the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Calling them a radical group of leftist maniacs, Trump warned them to leave the politics out of the game. As Trump put it, woke means you lose. Everything that is woke goes bad, and our soccer team certainly has. Trump was kind enough to acknowledge that not all the team was on board with the leftist diatribes of the maniacs. However, he encouraged our Olympic team to replace the Wokesters with Patriots and start winning again. As a parting shot, Trump wrote, The woman with the purple hair played terribly and spends too much time thinking about radical left politics and not doing her job. Trump's statement brought entertainment value that had been sorely lacking at this year's Olympics. But he also touched on a very important point that should be taken seriously. The Olympics are supposed to be about uniting nations behind their teams for friendly competition. Yet athletes like the purple-haired Megan Rapinoe make it clear that they don't want to play on behalf of all Americans, but just on behalf of Americans who hold a particular set of political beliefs. Where does that leave the millions of Americans who don't hold to the far-left ideology? For many, they were left without a team to root for. Some Americans were even actively rooting against their own team. Without a loyal base of fans, it's no wonder America only received a bronze medal for their mediocre performance in women's soccer. Trump is right. Woke means you lose. American athletes at the Olympics should play for America, not for right America or left America. If we cannot come together on the soccer field, how will we ever be able to come together on Main Street? Let's end divisive political statements at the Olympics once and for all. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I want to highlight something for you, and that is from Hungary. Now, Hungary has been in the uh, news the last uh, few weeks. I mentioned it the other day because the EU is trying to make them uh, change their laws and all. But 
Here's where Hungary has been really interesting and helpful. Um, Viktor Orban, who is uh, obviously the man that leads Hungary, the, uh, the uh, I guess, is he prime minister? Yeah, he's the prime minister. Um, and he said about the problem of refugees, because now all of Europe has been flooded now by the refugees from Afghanistan. So there's a big conversation at the EU. What do you do? And he's looking around and he's saying, uh, you guys said you like all these refugees and you like all this uh, immigration on demand or whatever. Um, what do you think now? And he said this. He said, I was the first one who definitely fought against the concept of, of allowing uh, immigrants. And he said, because the policy, which would be, um, you know, um, immigration on demand or migration on demand, can destroy the culture identity of, cultural identity of Europe will deliver a lot of unsecured groups of people to Europe that could result in terrorism and in many social difficulties. So I represent the position from the very beginning. And he says, he goes on, he says, my job as prime minister is to take care of my people. And he says, I don't think that we want to welcome people that we are unsure of whether they fit into our cultural identity. I mean, this is courage, right? If you say this in America, you'd be, and he goes on to say, on, demo, on demography and migration, may I say that what we need is not newcomers, but instead our own people who are originally living here. Because it's just math. If we invite people from outside Europe, they will change the cultural identity of Europe. There are some countries who accept that. Hungary is not among those countries. We would not like to change the cultural identity of our country. So we don't accept migra- migration as a solution to demographic challenges. You see, in Europe, they have a problem. They don't have enough people. And so they're trying to solve the problem. He says, goes on and says, we, own, we believe only that family policy, the traditional Christian family policy, can help us out of that demographic crisis. I, I got to tell you, the idea that a major leader, now Hungary is about 11 million people, so it's not a huge country, right? The economy is pretty vibrant for that size because they have some really clever people and they've had a history of uh, really smart folks and so you, you have a, a tech industry around budapest you have a, a, a film industry and and uh, you have uh, literature and things but it's 11 million people or so it's not you know it's not the size of america but that's some real courageous leadership that's a guy saying not only we don't want more illegal immigrants or migrants but here's why we have a cultural identity that we want to protect and this is one of the biggest problems that is goes understated in America is we are opening the borders to a million people on the southern border and opening our arms supposedly to a couple hundred thousand refugees from Afghanistan. And A, we don't know who they are. And B, we don't know if they come that they'll assimilate in America. Because 125 years ago, and I again, I'm not an expert on this, but I've read enough to know, I've talked to enough people to know that there was a, a, an idea, a notion, and an experience of America 125 years ago that people became American, they didn't stay something else. Whether that's the same now is up for grabs. Our education system is weaker. And I'm, by the way, weaker, I mean in terms of teaching about American exceptionalism and its goodness. Our Judeo-Christian tradition... Here's one for you, a conversation with a different friend of mine, Tom, who works in a big church in the, uh, I think it's an Indianapolis area, big evangelical church. He said 50% down the number of attendees after the COVID. People stayed home, they, they went, they, they stayed home for the pandemic and they stayed home for good or so far. And he said there's surveys across the country, that's a big, that's generally the number. 
Somewhere between 40 and 50% of people stayed home. They got used to the fact of doing church in their pajamas on TV or maybe not doing it at all. If you don't go to church, if you don't have faith as a public part of your life, it's a factor. It's not the end of the world, but it's not a good place to be. And if you look at America for 60 years now, we've taken God out of schools and God out of the public square and God out of prayer at football games and all these things. We stopped doing the Pledge of Allegiance, which represents God, says it includes, a, uh, includes a, a, a statement of under God. All these kinds of things, it's, it's a cumulative effect either way. It's one of the reasons why with, I, I do happen to drive my kids to school and we often, we always, we, we, we always do the readings, uh, scripture readings on the way to school and we often do it on the way back because you just want, to, you, don't, you want it to be in the air. You want to breathe in the air. For me, in my case, you want to breathe in the air the Holy Scripture. I want my kids to hear it echoing in the car, echoing in their home because it, you, you, it becomes who you are. So anyway, congratulations to Viktor Orban, the, uh, the Prime Minister of uh, Hungary. Extraordinary, uh, extraordinary to, to see him lead and, and the impact it has. So, all right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to our great Noah Dingley, producer of the program. Thank you also to uh, Joanna for booking guests. Thank you for listening. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and we will be back tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody. And by the way, if you don't get to hear those Larry Elder interviews, you can find them at ProAmericaReport.com. Very much worth listening to. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.